Sorcerers, my name is Phil, and today we will be reading Harry Potter, Book 1, The Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 2. So, just saying, after Harry Potter, Book 1, The Sorcerer's Stone, we will be reading The Pushcart War. So, take it away, Sam! Chapter 2 of Harry Potter, Book 1, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. By J.K. Rowling. Chapter 2. The Vanishing Glass. Nearly ten years had passed since the Dursleys had woken up to find their nephew on the front steps, but Privet Drive hardly had hardly changed at all. The sun rose on the same tidy front gardens, and it lit up the brass number four on the Dursleys' front door. It crept into the living room, which was almost exactly the same as it had been on the night when Mr. Dursley had seen that faithful news report about the owls. Only the photographs on the mantelpiece really showed how much time had passed. Ten years ago, there had been lots of pictures of what looked like a large pink beach ball wearing different colored bonnets, but Dudley Dursley was no longer a baby, and now the photograph showed a large blonde boy riding his first bicycle on a carousel at the fair, playing a computer game with his father, being hugged and kissed by his mother, the room held no sign of that at all that another boy had lived in this house, too. Yet Harry Potter was still there, asleep at the moment, but not for long. His Aunt Petunia was awake, and it was her shrill voice that made the first noise of the day. Up! Get up! Now! Harry had woke, awoke with a start. His aunt rapped on the door again. Up! She shrieked. She screeched. Harry had Harry heard her walking toward the kitchen, and then the sound of the frying pan being put on the stove. He rolled onto his back and tried to remember the dream he had been having. It had been a good one. There had been a flying motorcycle in it. He had a funny feeling he'd had the same dream before. His aunt was back outside the door. Are you up yet? she demanded. Nearly, said Harry. Well, get a move on. I want you to look after the bacon. And don't you dare let it burn. I want everything perfect on Duddy's birthday. Harry groaned. What did you say? His aunt snapped through the door. Nothing, nothing. Dudley's birthday. How could he have forgotten? Harry got slowly out of bed and started looking for socks. He found a pair under his bed and after pulling a spider off one of them, put them on. Harry was used to spiders because the cupboard under the stairs was full of them, and that's where he slept. When he dressed, he went down into the hall in the kitchen. The table was almost hidden beneath all Dudley's birthday presents. It looked as though Dudley had gotten a new computer. He wanted not to mention the second television and the racing bike. Exactly why Dudley wanted a racing bike was a mystery to Harry. As Dudley was very fat and hated exercise of course unless it involved of course unless of course it involved punching somebody Dudley's favorite punching bag was Harry but he often couldn't catch him Harry didn't look at but he was very fast perhaps it had something to do with living in the dark cupboard because Harry had always been small and skinny for his age he looked even smaller and skinnier than he really did because all he had to wear were old clothes of Dudley. And Dudley was about four times bigger than he was. Harry had thin face 
and knobbly knees. Black hair and bright green eyes. He wore round glasses held together with a lot of scotch tape because of all the times Dudley had punched him on the nose. The only thing Harry liked about his own appearance was a very thin scar on his forehead that was shaped like a bolt of lightning. He had it as long as he could remember, and the first question he could ever remember asked if his Ambertinia how he had gotten it. In the In the first car crash when your parents died, she said had said, and don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. That was the first rule for a quiet life with the Dursleys. Uncle Vernon entered the kitchen as Harry was turning over the bacon. Comb your hair, he barked by way of morning of a morning greeting. But once a week, Uncle Vernon looked up over the top of his newspaper and shouted that Harry needed a haircut. He must have had more haircuts than the rest of the boys in his class put together. But it made no difference. His hair simply grew that way, all over the place. Harry was frying eggs by the time Dudley arrived in the kitchen with his mother. Dudley looked a lot like Uncle Vernon. He had a large pink face, not much deck, small watery blue eyes, and thick blonde hair that lay smoothly on his thick fat head. Aunt Petunia often said that Dudley looked like a baby angel. Harry often said that Dudley looked like a pig in a wig. Harry put the plates of egg and bacon on the table, which was difficult as there wasn't much room. Dudley, meanwhile, was counting his presents. His face fell. Thirty-six, he said, looking up at his mother and father. That's two less than last year. Darling, you you haven't counted Auntie Marge's presents. It's under this big one from Mummy and Daddy. All right, 37 then, said Dudley, going right in the face. Harry, who could see a huge Dudley tantrum coming on, began wolfing down his bacon as, as fast as possible in case Dudley turned the table over. Aunt Petunia obviously scented danger too because she said, presents while we're out today. How's that, Pumpkin? Two more presents. Is that all right? Dudley thought for a moment. <clears throat> it looked like hard work. Finally, he said, So I'll have 30, 30, 39 sweetums. Oh, said Dudley. Sat, Dudley sat down heavily and grabbed the nearest parcel. Alright, then. Uncle Vernon chuckled. Little Tykes wants his money worth, just like his father. At a boy, Dudley. He ruffled Dudley's hair. At the moment at that moment the telephone rang, and Aunt Petunia went to answer it while Harry and Uncle Vernon watched Dudley unwrap the racing bike. A video camera, a remote control airplane, 16 new computer games, and a VCR. I was ripping the paper off a gold wristwatch when Aunt Petunia came back from the telephone looking angry and worried. Bad news, Vernon, she said. Mrs. Figs broken her leg. She can't take him. She jerked her head in Harry's direction. Dudley's mouth fell open in horror, but 
Harry's heart gave a leap. Every year on Dudley's birthday, his parents took him and a friend out for the day to adventure parks, hamburger restaurants, or the movies. Every year, Harry was left behind with Mrs. Fig, a mad old lady who lived two streets away. Harry hated it there. The whole house smelled of cabbage and Miss Fig. Mrs. Fig made him look at photographs of all the cats she'd ever owned. Now what? said Aunt Petunia, looking furiously at Harry as though he'd planned this. Harry knew he ought to feel sorry that Mrs. Fig had broken her leg, but it wasn't easy when he reminded himself it would be a whole year for him to look at Tibbles, Snowy, Mr. Paws, and Tufty again. We could, we could, we could phone Marge. Uncle Vernon suggested. Don't be silly, Vernon. She hates the boy. The Dursley often spoke about Harry like like this, as though he wasn't there, or rather as though he was something very nasty. They couldn't understand them. They couldn't understand them. Like a slug. What about what's her name? Your friend. Yvonne. On a vacation in the Horka. Sam Petunia. You could just leave me here, Harry put in hopefully. He'd be able to watch what, what he wanted on, on television for a change, and maybe even go have a go on Dudley's computer. Amphetunia looked like she just swallowed eleven. And come back and find the house in ruins, she snarled. I won't blow up the house, said Harry, but they weren't listening. I suppose we could take him to the zoo said Aunt Petunia slowly, and leave him in the car. That car's new. He's not sitting in it alone. Dudley began to cry loudly. In fact, he wasn't really crying. It had been years since he really cried, but he knew that if he screwed up his face and wailed, his mother would give him anything he wanted. Dinky Daddy Dums, don't cry. Mummy won't let him spoil your special day, she cried flinging her arms around him. I don't want him to, to come, D Dudley yelled between huge pretend stops. He always sp spoils everything. He shot Harry a nasty grin through the gap in his mother's arm. Just then the doorbell rang. Oh, good lord, they're here. said Aunt Petunia frantically. And a moment later, Dudley's best friend, Pierre's Pol Pierre's Polkis, walked in with his mother. Pierre's was a scrawny boy with a face like a rat. He was usually the one who held people's arms behind their backs while Dudley hit them. Dudley stopped pretending to cry at once. Half an hour lady later, who... Harry, who couldn't believe his luck, was sitting in the back of Dud in back of the back of the Dursley's car with Piers and Dudley on the side on the on the way to the zoo for the very first time in his life. His aunt and uncle hadn't been able to think of anything else to do with him, but before they left, Uncle Vernon had taken Harry aside. I'm warning you, he had said, putting his large purple face right up close to Harry's. I'm warning you now, boy. Any funny business 
anything at all, and you'll be sleeping in that cupboard from now until Christmas. I'm not going to do anything, said Harry, honestly. Uncle Vernon didn't believe him. No one ever did. The problem was, strange things often happened around Harry, and it was just no good telling the Dursleys he didn't make them happen. Once, Aunt Petunia tried, tired of combing, coming back from the barbers, looking as though he hadn't been at all, had taken a pair of scissors from kitchen scissors and cut his hair so short he was almost bald except for his bangs, which he left to hide that horrible scar. Dudley had laughed himself silly at Harry, who spent a sleepless night imagining school the next day, where he was already laughed at for his baggy clothes and taped glasses. Next morning, however, he had gotten up to find his hair exactly as it had been before Aunt Petunia had sheared it off. He had been given a week in his cupboard for this, even though he didn't. He tried. He had tried to explain, but he couldn't explain how it had grown back so quickly. Another time, Aunt Petunia had been trying to force him into a revolting old sweater of Dudley's, brown with orange puffballs. The harder... She had tried to pull it over his head, the smaller it seemed to become. Until finally it might have fit into a hand puppet. But that certainly wouldn't fit Harry. Ampetunia said it must have shrunk in the wash, and to his great relief, Harry wasn't punished. On the other hand, he'd gotten into terrible trouble for being found on the roof of the school kitchens. Dudley's gang had been chasing him as usual when, as much to Harry's surprise as anyone else's, there he was sitting on the chimney. The Dursleys had received a very angry letter from Harry's headmistress, telling them that Harry had been climbing school buildings. But all he tried to do, as he shouted at Uncle Vernon through the locked doors of his cupboard, was jump behind the big trash cans outside the kitchen doors. Harry supposed that the wind must have caught him in mid-jump. But today, nothing was to go wrong. It wasn't even because... It wasn't even worth being with Dudley and Pierce to be spending the day so somewhere that wasn't school his cupboard or Miss Big's cabbage smelling living room. While he drove, Uncle Vernon complained to Aunt Petunia. He liked to complain about things. People at work, Harry, the council, Harry, the bank, and Harry were just a few of his subjects. Yes? Oh, so I was just wondering why Uncle Vernon loves to er, loves to complain about people. I think it's just he's obsessed with complaining about things. And he he's also, a very negative person, I think. I and I mean he he fires about half the employees at his job. How does how's the business still running mm. or running? I believe. Uh, I don't know. Let's keep on going. Okay, come on. Take it away, Sam. This morning, it was motorcycles. Roaring like maniacs, those young hoodlums, he said, as a motorcycle overtook them. I had a dream about a motorcycle, said Harry, remembering suddenly. It was flying. Uncle Vernon nearly crashed into the car in front. He turned... Right around in his seat and yelled at Harry. His face took a gigantic beat with a mustache. Motorcycles don't fly!
Dudley and Piers sniggered. I know they don't, said Harry. It was only a dream. But he wished he hadn't said anything. If there was one thing that Dursleys hated even more than asking questions, it was talking about anything acting in a way it shouldn't, no matter how, no matter if it was in a dream or even a cartoon. They seemed to think it might get, he might get dangerous ideas. It was a very Sunday Saturday, and the zoo was crowded with fan families. The Dursleys bought Dudley and Piers large chocolate ice creams at the entrance, and then, because the smiling lady in the van had asked Harry what he wanted before they could hurry him away, they bought a cheap lemon ice pop. It wasn't bad either, thought Harry thought, licking it as they watched the gorilla scratching his head, who looked remarkably like Dudley, except it was, except that it wasn't blonde. Harry had the best morning he had in a long time. He had in a long time. He was careful to walk a little way apart from the Dursley so that Dudley and Piers, who were standing starting to get bored with the animals by lunchtime, wouldn't fall back on their hobby of hitting him. Um, I have a question. I wonder why. Oh, I lost my train of thought. You can continue, Sam. They ate in the zoo, and when Dudley had a tantrum because his knickerbocker glory didn't have enough ice cream on top, Uncle Vernon bought him another one, and Harry was allowed to finish the first. Harry felt afterward that he should have known it was all too good to last. At lunch, they went into the reptile house. Yes? I remember, Sam. So, um, I, so, didn't he never have a good morning that he could remember? Yes, of course. But, yeah, I think things are starting to get turned around for for poor Harry, who's been treated so terribly. I mean, I know he's going to go to Hogwarts soon. Phil! Don't spoil the story. But isn't it kind of obvious? Everyone knows that he goes to Hogwarts. Spoiler. You can continue, Sam. Harry felt afterward that he should have known it was all too good to last. After lunch, they went to the reptile house. It was cool and dark in there with lit windows all along the walls. Behind the glass, all sorts of lizards and snakes were crawling and slithering over bits of wood and stone. Dudley and Piers wanted to see huge, poisonous cobras and thick, man-crushing pythons. Dudley quickly found the largest snake in the place. It could have wrapped its body twice around Uncle Vernon's car and crushed it into a trash can. But at the moment, it didn't look in the mood. In fact, it was fast asleep. Dudley s- stood with his nose pressed against the glass, staring at the glistening brown coil. Make it move, he whined at his father. Uncle Vernon tapped on the glass, but the snake didn't budge. Do it again, Dudley ordered. Uncle Vernon wrapped the glass smartly with his knuckles, but the snake just moved on. This is boring, Dudley moaned. He shuffled away. Harry moved in front of the tank and looked intently at the snake. Oh, I have a question. Where did you get such a good British accent, Sam? Let's just say... I have no idea where. Okay, you can continue. Harry moved in front of the tank and looked intently at the snake. He wouldn't have been surprised if it had died of boredom itself. 
No company except stupid people drumming their fingers on the glass trying to disturb it all day long. It was worse than having a cupboard as a bedroom where the only visitor was Aunt Petunia, hammering on the door to wake you up. At least he got to visit the rest of the house. The snake suddenly opened its beady eyes. Slowly, very slowly, it raised its head until its eyes were on level with Harry's. It winked. Harry stared. Then he looked quickly around to see if anyone was watching. They weren't. Harry looked back at the snake and winked, too. The snake jerked his head towards Uncle Vernon and Dudley, then raised its eyes to the ceiling. It gave Harry a look that said, quite plainly, Oh, I get that all the time. I know. I know, Harry murmured through the glass, though he wasn't sure the snake could hear him. It must be really annoying. Snake nodded vigorously. Where do you come from, anyways? Anyway, Harry asked. The snake jabbed its tail at the little sign next to the glass. Harry peered at it. Boa Constrictor, Brazil. Was it nice there? The boa constrictor jabbed his tail at the sign and Harry read on it. This specimen this specimen was bred in a in the zoo. Oh, I see. So you've never been to Brazil. As the snake shook its head, a deafening shout behind Harry made both of them jump. Dudley, Mr. Dursley, come and look at this snake. You won't believe what it's doing. Dudley came waddling towards him as fast as he could. Out of the way, you, he said, punching Harry in the ribs. Caught by surprise, Harry fell hard on the concrete floor. What came next happened so fast, no one saw how it happened. One second, Piers and Dudley were leaning right up close to the glass. The next, they had leapt back with howls of horror. Harry sat up and gasped. The front, the glass front of the boa constrictor's tank had vanished. The great snake was uncoiling itself rapidly, slithering onto the floor. People throughout the reptile house screamed and stared, and started, and started running for the exits. As the snake slid swiftly past him, Harry could have sworn a low hissing voice said, "Brazil, here I come. Thanks, me. Wait, sorry." Brazil, here I come. Thanks, amigo. The keeper of the reptile house was in shock. But the glass, he kept saying, where did it go? The zoo director himself made Aunt Petunia a cup of strong, sweet tea while he apologized over and over again. Pierce and Dudley could only give her shiver. As far as Harry had seen, the snake hadn't done anything except snap playfully at their heels. As it passed, but by the time they were all back in Uncle Vernon's car, Dudley was telling them how it had nearly bitten off his leg, while Piers was swearing it had tried to squeeze him to death. But worst of all, for Harry at least, was Piers calming down enough to say, Harry was talking to it, weren't you, Harry? Uncle Vernon waited until Piers was... Um, does Piers really have a French accent? I don't know. I just assumed. I guess Piers, mm, it is kind of a French. I, I, it's not spelled. It's not spelled French. It's not spelled the right way. But I just assumed it would be like. That. I mean, Piers is a classic French name. Yeah, it's not spelled correctly though. But whatever. Um, but it probably is. Uncle Vernon waited until Piers was safely out of the house before 
starting on Harry. He was so angry he could hardly speak. He managed to say, Go! Come on! Stay! No meals! Before he collapsed into a chair and then Petunia had to run and get him a large brandy. Harry lay in his dark cupboard much later, wishing he had a watch. He didn't know what time it is and couldn't be sure that the Dursleys were asleep yet. Until they were, he couldn't risk sneaking into the kitchen for some food. He lived with the Dursleys of almost ten years, ten miserable years as long as he could remember, ever since he was a baby. And his parents had died in that car crash. He couldn't remember being in the car crash when his parents had died. Sometimes when he screamed, the me- um, actually, Harry's parents got killed by you know who, in the Avada Kedavra curse. You Yet again, people, him? please don't listen to this podcast if you want spoilers. Okay, well, we may include quite a few spoilers, but this is just. Please don't listen I'm to this. Po- I, I'm just telling this you, podcast- Sam, go okay. on. Ever since he'd been a baby and his parents had died in that car crash. He couldn't remember being in that car when his parents had died. Sometimes when he was, he strained his memory during the lost long hours in his cupboard, he came up with a strange vision. A blinding flash, flash of green light and a burning pain on his forehead. This, he supposed, was a crash, though he couldn't imagine where all the green light came from. He couldn't remember his parents at all. His aunt and uncle never spoke about them. Of course, he was forbidden to ask questions. There were no photographs of them in the house. When he had been younger, Harry had dreamed and dreamed of some unknown relation coming to take him away. But it had never happened. The Dursleys were his only family. Yet sometimes he thought, or maybe hoped, that the strangers in the street seemed to know him. Very strange strangers they were. A tiny man in a violet top hat had bowed to him once while out shopping with Aunt Petunia and Dudley. After asking Harry furiously if he knew the man, Aunt Petunia had rushed out of the shop without buying anything. A wild-looking old woman, dressed in all green, had waved merrily at him once on a bus. A bald man in a very long purple coat had accidentally had actually shaken his hand in the street the other day and then walked away without a word. The weirdest thing about all these people was that the way they seemed to vanish the second Harry tried to take a closer look. At school, Harry had no one. Everyone knew that Dudley's gang had hated that odd Harry Potter in his baggy clothes and broken glasses, and nobody liked to disagree with Dudley's gang. That's the end of Chapter 2 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, and one question, Sam. Um, the Vanishing Glass. One question, Sam. So, wouldn't it be if every kid besides Dudley's gang teamed up on Dudley's gang, wouldn't then they be more powerful well, as to overthrow Well, Dudley's you see, gang? in this book, the, the students have to listen to Dudley's gang because they're in charge of the school. Well, not really, really in charge. But, like, they're in charge of, like, the students can't disagree with them, otherwise... They'll do mean stuff to them, so you have to No, listen. I know, no, as if they made a secret group and then strike Dudley's gang in the spot. Well, I think, I think they try to live off the code of the schoolyard, which is nobody, which is everyone listens to the toughest person, which in that no, case is Dudley. No, but if they all teamed up to make a big force... Well, I'm pretty sure Harry looks pretty ugly to them, and nobody wants to be with some... 
he kind of looks a little weird, and nobody wants to be with the weirdo, so, you know, I, mean, I think that's that. that. I mean, he, he's pretty fast, so he may be good on a soccer team, and... Uh, first of all, I'm pretty sure everyone hates him, and nobody wants him. Nobody likes him, okay? Why don't we that's just put it true. at that? It's only that Dudley's game. Okay, Dudley says it's true. Whatever Dudley says is true, it's true, okay? Yeah. Well, except, well, you know, you know, like, in that school... Whatever Dudley says is true is true. But if they just made a get a force to okay, okay. overthrow Dudley's game, nobody can that? overthrow the game. It's against the game. It's against the code of the schoolyard. Again, isn't the code of the schoolyard bad in this case? Yes, but this code of the schoolyard dictates the schoolyard. So it may dictate you know, the school schoolyard, but you can fight against. You can fight against the code of the schoolyard. The code of the schoolyard states that you can't fight against the. You can't fight against the group unless you're a bully. The bullies are in charge. That's yes. the code of the schoolyard. So, but no. The the bullies are in charge. That's the code of the schoolyard. Please stop it. We're making this podcast run long. Thanks for listening, folks. Tune in next time because we're going to be reading chapter three, The Letters from No One, book one, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Thanks, and remember, I'm Phil. Bye!